Hey there, beings. You are listening to the Self-Tivity Podcast. I am your self-investing storyteller, Danny Jessen. I'm a writer, a creative entrepreneur, but most importantly, a mindfulness advocate. For those who are new to this podcast, my goal is to merge mindfulness and self-love into our self-investing journey, as well as our entrepreneurial endeavors. Today, I have a special guest with me. Allow me to introduce. Are you ready? Hey there, beings. You are listening to the Self-Tivity Podcast with Danny, your self-investing storyteller. Today's show features a special guest, Mr. Feng Shua. He is a business strategist, real estate investor, show host, and speaker, and three-time selling author. Today, I have the honor of having him on the show. We are going to talk about breaking into the potential, your potential, how you can tap into getting into multiple streams of income intentionally. And we're going to discuss his book, Make More, Work Less. But before we get started, I want to give you the opportunity, Mr. Fung, to share with us who you are. I know we have a lot of these platforms where we we share our titles and all these things that we're good at. But if someone was listening and just wanted to get an understanding of who you are as a being, can you give us a little bit of background of how you would describe yourself? Yeah, sure. So once again, first of all, thank you very much, Danny, for having me here. Absolutely a joy. And I love adding value as much as I can. And I love adding uh, impact as much as I can and to as many people. So uh, when you asked if I would like to come, I said, yeah, sure. What time and when and where and all that kind of stuff, because I absolutely love this stuff and I love your show. So thank you very much. Uh, For myself, uh, born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, taught to work hard, find a good job and work in that job for the rest of our lives. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to that because that's kind of how we were brought up. We're kind of taught to do that kind of stuff. So being in the Edmonton, Alberta market, um, I, keep, I became an engineer. And uh, that was one of our main, uh, something our university was very famous for. So that's what I got into. And I got into the oil and gas industry. And because Alberta is so tightly connected with oil and gas, when oil and gas goes up and down, well, our economy goes up and down. Mm-hmm. But once I got that job, I go, okay, so this is the rest of my life kind of thing. Until 2008 came along and the oil and gas market completely tanked. And that's when our company at the time went from, I think, 800 some employees down to, I think, 125. So everybody was losing their jobs. And that's when my girlfriend and now wife at the time stood up and go, okay, let's do something different. Let's not... Uh, focus too much on the engineering side in case engineering doesn't work out. Yeah. So we went out and grabbed our very first Rich Dad Poor Dad book, which I'm okay. sure a lot of people are yes. familiarized right, <laughs> with. And uh, we started real estate investing. Uh, we hired a, a business coach and a real estate coach, and we built our portfolio from zero properties with no experience to about 23 properties and over 30 some units, which I either partner up on or I manage myself or I work with other people on. So then I went to my coach at the time. Okay, now I got these these properties down. Uh, What's next on my list that I need to do? Challenge me. And my coach goes, well, why don't you look into other stuff? So I started looking into um, insurance, how you could buy insurance as a a retirement kind of plan. How do you buy gold and silver commodities? How do you get into network marketing? How do you learn about business, branding, marketing, all that kind of stuff? So it opened up this whole new world for me that nobody even taught me. Because in school, we weren't taught any of that stuff. So then when people started coming up to me and go, so what exactly do you do? I spend a good three, four hours on all these things that I'm doing to set up my financial future and nothing about engineering. Mm -hmm. And then my coach goes, well, that's not very effective your time. Why don't you write your first book? So that's how my first book came along. Um, It's basically an introduction to all the stuff that we set up for our financial foundation. And now I can go, okay, here's my book. Read this first. Let me know what you want to focus on. And we'll go dive deep into it so that when we talk, it's more effective. Well, I'm not sure if you have the, uh, the, the experience, but once you get into book writing, all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I have more than one book in me. Yeah, so, <laughs> sure. So within those two, three years, we actually released three books nice. and uh, one on real estate, one on team building, one on the financial foundation. I wrote another book based on a dare because somebody asked me, how fast can you finish a book? I go, hmm, probably a month if I really wanted to. 
And so I did that one in a month and I did another one on uh, effective communication, one on branding, one on mindset and all that kind of stuff. And also a kid's book. So then the book writing thing is something I absolutely enjoy uh, because I love maximizing my time and also maximizing my content. So we can dive into that a little bit later. Um, But then my coach goes, okay, you should start speaking. I'm like, okay, let's start speaking. So I got onto (laughs) stages and started speaking on his, his, uh, his conferences and his, uh, what do you call it? His events and whatnot. But what's funny was the very first time he goes, why don't you come up and speak? I'm like, okay, how long do you want me to speak for? 10 minutes, 15 minutes. He goes, how about two hours? I'm like, I don't know if I could do two hours. He goes, why, <laughs> why can't you? I'm like, well, I, I can't. It's two hours. People pay good money to listen to you speak, not listen to me speak. And I don't know about my content and all that kind of stuff. He goes, but you're, you're a Toastmaster, right? I'm like, yeah. But in Toastmasters, that's completely yeah. different. Yeah. Um, one, they don't care what I talk about. Two, I don't care if they like it or not. I'm still talking. Yeah. And it's only for five minutes. So he goes, what exactly do you talk about during those speeches? I go, well, I talk about real estate. I talk about business anyway. So he goes, perfect. Put together 20 of your speeches and there's a two-hour presentation. And yeah. that's how I did my first two-hour presentation. And from there, I spoke on different stages in uh, LA and San Diego over to over 4,000 people in some cases, and also now virtually um, all, all around the world. So that's something I really, really enjoy. Um, during this pandemic, one of my coaches co- challenged me to start my own podcast show. So I'm like, okay, let's start a podcast <laughs> show. Uh, so, uh, so now up to this point, I do my podcast show. I do a lot of YouTube stuff. I coach a lot of clients with their book writing, using their book as a platform and also in real estate as well. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if that, I'm pretty sure that kind of sums up my history. It does. It <laughs> does. There were so many things that you pointed out that I'm excited to talk about. One of them was the Toastmasters. Hello, I'm a fellow Toastmaster as well. So that's pretty cool. I, I don't think I'm, I haven't met many Toastmasters because I just joined like last year in a local chapter. So that's phenomenal. And that really pretty, did that fun or help, not fun. Uh, did that help you with speaking or did you naturally have the the carriage to speak or the ability? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, the very first time I was told to do some speaking stuff was my parents saying, your uncle is a Toastmaster. Look at how good he speaks. Oh, right? wow. And then I'm like, okay, so I guess I should start learning how to speak. And in grade seven, I actually signed up for a leadership course yeah. in junior high and we did maybe two or three speeches. So from there, it's always on my mind that speaking is something I needed to do. But uh, prior to all this stuff, I was the person in the back of the room. I didn't like networking. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But once you you put in your investment of like tens and thousands of dollars to hire a coach to teach you real estate, then all of a sudden, you know, you know what? I should really work on this speaking thing. And uh, because if you don't, aren't able to speak and network and build relationships, well, you don't have a business kind of thing, right? So that's when we revisited uh, Toastmasters again uh, for the first time. And this time we went in with a purpose. Um, How do we integrate Toastmasters as a tool for what we want to do with the long-term in mind? So if I wanted to say, okay, in my mind, in my future, I wanted to be on stage speaking. I want to do conferences. I want to do workshops and all kinds of stuff. What kind of topics would we be talking about? Okay, so why not create that content for my speeches yeah. so I'm doing two things at once and plus I get to practice it here yeah. whereas a lot of people go into the Toastmasters to go I'm going to talk about my cats mm-hmm. and then I'm going to talk about my <laughs> vacation well you can't repurpose yeah. that content right yeah. so um, every step of the way I went through the, the courses and all that kind of stuff in, in Toastmasters and go okay how can I reuse these content and how does this help me here if it doesn't help me in the business side then I'm not going to do it here so in the old traditional path of Toastmasters, there's a lot of um, area directors where you're managing three or four different clubs and then you get right. to do uh, visits and all that kind of stuff. Well, I basically use that as a platform for me to speak with different clubs, mm. talking about my book stuff and how Toastmasters help my books, how the Toastmasters help me speak, how the Toastmasters help this and kind of seed drop everything that I do. Yeah. But at the same time, fulfilling the Toastmasters role. Right. So if you're in Toastmasters, I would really focus on, okay, how do I use Toastmasters as a tool so that it can complement this, but not take away this? No, that makes sense. There was um, a Toastmaster also builds connections with other people where you can, you know, speak at their events. My local Toastmaster has... um, 
is connected to a nonprofit organization. And sometimes they have these other events that they share with us. And so there's opportunities in that way as well. But I love how you use a lot of strategy with these um, different platforms and different groups that you join. But when you were speaking, you said that you were initially in the back of the class and you really didn't want to speak as much. I think that was uh, really powerful for me, at least, because I've been on this on this journey of trying to reach the introvert because I feel like we have a really extroverted type of world. People see you as an extrovert and it's like, okay, you can do this. You can speak, you can do all these things. You can network with people, but there are a lot of people who are introverted. They still want to be able to make income um, and be impactful at the same time, but may, may not want to extend so much energy. How did you transition or maybe change your mindset from like, you know, I prefer to stay in the back of the class to, you know, I have to go out and network if I want to have a different type of lifestyle. It was one of those things where I personally, I didn't find any other way. Yeah. Whether I go up on stage and speak or really be active in networking and connecting with people, there's still an element where you have to be able to talk to people. You can't walk into a bank and try and get a mortgage or walk into a bank and uh, work with a, uh, an accountant and all that kind of stuff without having that rapport and that be able that ability to build relationships. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be able to go and put an offer on a house and negotiate if you're not outspoken or if you're not able to build that relationship again, right? So whether or not you want to be very, very active in speaking, you still need to speak. Right. Um, as an introvert, lots like I started off as a, as an introvert. And the thing is, sometimes I turn that on and off. Mm. I find that being having an engineering background, being an introvert to begin with yeah. is advantageous, I find. Yeah. Because for me, I could turn on my, my, my excitement level if I wanted to, but I could always turn it back down. Right. I could turn on my right brain creativity side if I wanted to, or I could turn it back down. Yeah. But if I was to say, can I do it the other way and start being a creative of the mind and then all of a sudden love numbers, that's a little bit more difficult in my mind. Yeah. So I find that if you're starting from an introvert mindset and also a left-minded analytical mindset, yeah. you can build up to become more creative and also more extroverted. Yeah. Uh, one trick that was taught to me was people love the sound of their voice. <laughs> and so therefore, if you're an introvert and you go into a networking place, and you go up to some, everybody there, majority of them wants to talk and yeah. they want to connect. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you don't want to talk, all you have to do is go up to them and go, so what do you do? Yeah. And then you just sit there and go, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Oh, ah, I see. And after a while, they go, oh, that was a great conversation. Like, yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you allow them to speak. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, um, that tags on the, how to make friends. I don't know if you ever um, read that book, How to Make Friends Be Successful. Yeah. Um, it is really catering to what other people want in a way where you add value to them as well. And sometimes the value is, hey, like I need someone to listen to me. There. So, <laughs> especially with extroverts, I, I've, I think I've transitioned really from the, the opposite. I think I've been tagged to be more extroverted. Now I feel more introverted. And then it's like, I'm probably in the middle of the spectrum because I do it's the, the exact thing that you say. I know how to turn it on and off, but I definitely have to recharge myself. And I feel like in the environment we live right now, where every, everybody's online and like, you know, make money, make money. You got to do this, you got to do that. And you have so many ads in front of your faces also become draining as, as well. So then you hear other sides of like, hey, you have to pick a niche or um, and people pronounce that differently, but you know, you have to narrow it down. What exactly do you want to do? And then you got to get a course and you have to get a mentor and it also becomes overwhelming. And it seems like you have been able to master to do all these things and still have time um, to be able to, to join me on the podcast and to invest and to, to write books and to write children's books. How do, how would you recommend someone who feels overwhelmed um, in this space, the, the digital age of entrepreneurship or investing and things like that? How would you put them in the direction that kind of makes it a little bit more attainable? I would say, what is that one thing that you want to do first? Okay. So let's say, for instance, if somebody wants to buy real estate and they want to get into uh, multi-family uh, multi homes and strip malls and condos and all that kind of stuff, well, do one first. 
Okay. Don't overwhelm yourself with all the different strategies. Don't overwhelm yourself with all the locations and types of houses, types of properties and all that kind of stuff. Find out what's the first one that you could get into, get that under your belt and then move on to the next one. And then the next one and the next one. So for us, that's really what we did. I bought my very first condo. Um, I did not have a coach. I did not have a, a mentor at the time. It was more one of, more of the fact that my mom came up to me and goes, look at all these condos going up. Maybe you should look at buying one. And my, all your aunts and uncles have all these condos and they're looking like they're doing fine. So why don't you start doing it? I'm like, okay. So two weeks later, I walked into this presentation thing. Uh, they said, okay, these condos are just open to public today. I'm like, well, how come 98% of them are already sold? He goes, oh yes, because that's a, a pre-sale. And now to the public, there's only 2% left. I'm like, well, I guess I'll put a deposit on one kind of thing. So um, that then led to another, to another, to another, and then start building relationships. Um, our first two, three properties are joint venture partners with our family members, mm. right? So you want to start somewhere. Um, and the thing is, the the path that we chose was we didn't want to treat our family and friends' money like family and friends' money. Right. We had a contract in place. We had a joint venture agreement. We treated it completely like a business and a client so that everything's black and white. Everything's written down. Everything's agreed upon before we even move forward so that not only are we respecting them, but also it's a practice for us for our next client and our next client and the next client. So mm -hmm. yeah, pick that one thing. Uh, social media is another one. Pick one platform. I know there's a lot of stuff out there. You oh, can right. actually... That could be your full-time job if you really wanted to, but yeah. pick one. So for me, I picked Facebook. And then I go, okay, once I'm comfortable with Facebook, then I'll start putting stuff on LinkedIn. Okay, now I'm comfortable with LinkedIn. Okay, let's start doing Instagram. Let's do, start doing that. Um, even if you have to re repurpose the same content on all the platforms, at least you're still engaging on those platforms instead of coming up with new content for all. Right. But start with one. Um, I'll, I'll share another quick story. With regards to videos, um, okay. doing videos was one of the toughest things I've ever had to overcome. I can sing on stage. I could dance on stage okay. and you can record me. And I would have no problems with that. But okay. for some reason, once I see a camera in my face and me just talking, <laughs> I start stuttering. I stop forgetting stuff and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So I told this to my coach and my coach goes, well, why don't you take on this challenge? I'm like, oh, geez, here's another one of these challenges. He goes, he sticks his hand. I was like, Fong, do you trust me? I'm like, well, what am I going to say to that? He's like, okay, why don't you do one, one video a day for a whole year? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I thought I just told you, I can't do this. Well, we do 365. And right off the bat, my analytical engineer mind came in. 365 videos, that's 365 topics. I don't, I don't really think I can even write down 365 topics. Yeah. Well, at the time, I was also part of this mastermind group. And that's where you start sharing what's stopping you, where, what your challenges are and all that kind of stuff. So I stood up and go, yeah, I have this problem with talking to a camera. I went so far to even finding out that there's this, uh, there's this, uh, there's this psychological term mm. that fits my exact problem. And I found this out from reading a book by Penn, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. Okay. I'm not okay. sure. And he was, so he's the magician in, uh, entertainer in Las Vegas. So anyway, so he was on, I think it was celebrity apprentice or something like that. And he wrote his whole experience on that. And how, why do you think that so many celebrities on these reality TV shows all of a sudden blow up and lose their minds, right? Well, that's because of ego depletion. When you have all these cameras on you, you feel that you must be perfect. And therefore, at the very beginning, you're perfect. You do everything just right. But there comes to a point where you can't sustain that mentality and then all of a sudden you just lose it. And that's what goes on TV. Right. Wow. So then I'm like, that's exactly what I have. I have ego depletion. So I went, <laughs> to, my, and I went to my mastermind class and I go, yeah, nobody, you guys can't help me because I have ego depletion. Okay. So don't even try. So, so one person stood up and goes, okay, why don't you just promise to do one video a week? You can do any topic you want. Two minutes, maybe one minute, wherever you feel like just do one video a week. I'm like, right away, I just saved myself 310 videos. I'm like, 
Mm, maybe I could do that. 52 topics, no problem. And then this other person stood up and says, well, if you do it, I'll do it. Wow. And another person stood up and goes, well, if you guys do it, I'll do it. Soon we have four people stand up and go, okay, we'll all be part of this. Yeah. And before I could even say no, one of the people stood up and goes, okay, clicked on Facebook Live and said, hey, everybody, we have four people who are joined together to do this challenge. One video a week for the next month. What are you going to talk about Fong? And shove okay. that camera in my face. Well, now I'm committed because I'm not just going to stand there without saying anything. So I said, okay, I'm going to be talking about mindset and investments and all kinds of stuff. And then, yeah, sure enough, I'm a competitive guy. So I made sure I did one video a week for next year. Yeah. And um, it turns out that I was the only one that did all 52 videos. Oh. The person who challenged me says that, uh, yeah, I wasn't actually going to do it. I just want to see if you'll finish it. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for that. But that was 500 videos ago. Wow. So it's uh, one of those things where just do one, right? Just do one. I don't care how hard it is. Just do that one and then move on to the next one. Um, and then for me, I go, okay, well, I've always wanted to do more videos. So after I got the one a week on Mondays, which I was comfortable with, I then went and did a, an announcement on Friday and go, okay, starting next Friday, I'm going to have another show and a new topic. So tune on on Friday. So once I got my Friday one done, then I go, oh, on Tuesdays, I'm going to have another show. And then now I have like four, four videos a week, four or five videos a week. So that's, like I said, start with one, get comfortable with one, add another one. Yeah, that can be very, very helpful to a lot of our uh, content creators out there because video is a, a big thing right now and social media. YouTube is, is booming. It has a lot of different new features there. Um, there's a lot of monetization with the other platforms. So if you can get on video, people absorb video. I think people just like to watch other people. And it's also the thing that you don't want to do when you see someone do it. It can also be encouraging. That number 52 video, how did it feel on that video versus let's say number one, did you feel any changes or were you still nervous each time or how did it feel? I think I would be lying and I think everybody would be lying if they still, if they say, no, I feel perfectly fine every time I do a video. Yeah. Or every time I go up on stage, I feel perfectly fine, no nerves. I think that there's always a little bit of nerves there and there's always a little bit of um, uh, anxiousness, yeah. but that's just, just the way it is. Um, eventually you get to a point where I understand that feeling I know how to deal with it and you can just go and do it. So for my very first video, I know I did, I had like a whole script written out. I was trying to memorize it. Oh God. I was trying to <laughs> kind of remember every single thing I had on there. And I, I swear, I think I did a good 160, 170 takes before yeah, I was yeah. willing to post it up. Right. I'm one of those people who hate watching myself on TV or on, on video. Mm -hmm. um, I also hate listening to myself too. So I came up with this thing where I either watch without sound or I listen without video. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that starts to get more comfortable and then now I'm okay with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's one of those things where after I record it and I feel okay, I just post it because I know I'm going to critique the hell out of it and it will never go up. So um it got to the point where it's a lot easier now, right? Um, I only need a few minutes to prepare. I could kind of do stuff on the fly now. Yeah. Um, I've done, like for Toastmasters, for instance, um, I'm one of those people who go, okay, if we don't have a speech that day, tell me what you want to hear. I'll do a speech on the spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, they definitely okay. prep you for the on-spot speeches. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. <laughs> so let's go into the book, Make More, Work Less. So it sounds to me, and you and you can correct me and, and just take me on this adventure. Sounds like you do a lot of work, but you aren't, right? Based on your book, because of the strategies that you put in place. Well, a lot of the stuff that I put in place is you set it and you just have it kind of run on its own. Okay. okay. Right. So there is some initial research, there's some paperwork, there's some things that you have to get started, but on the long run it'll get a lot more easier, right? So for instance, the very first book that I, I talked about is the Financial Foundation. An average person works, what, 20, 
2,080 hours uh, in their lifetime. Oh, no, sorry, not in lifetime, a year. Oh, you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's great. Yeah, so two, about 2,000 hours uh, a year, and mm-hmm. they make X amount of money, right? So they usually work on, what, 40, 40 years, and then you retire. Now, if you take that money, and then you go, okay, how much do I need to save up so that I can live till 80, 90, 95, so that I could retire on an X amount of money, right? But how much of that money that you saved goes towards taxes? Or how about inflation? How about all those other things that you haven't accounted for? How long would that money last? And then you ask yourself, well, I could last till 95. But what if I live past 95? Yeah. That could be a problem, right? So then, okay, if your base is your your yearly salary, I believe if you need, I think you needed about 1.2 million, 1.3 million by the time you retire at the age of 65. So that you retire off of about $66,000 a year. That's after taxes, right? So then how long does that last? Okay, so that's your base mark, right? So then I go, how do I make this faster? Well, there's a concept of um, insurance where you can basically buy insurance like you're buying houses. Yeah. Right. It will grow in value. You could retire off the growth and all that kind of stuff. Right. So if I added that to what my current plan is, which is retirement at 65. Yeah. But if I keep on funding this instead of funding my savings account or funding my uh, RSPs or uh, 401ks and all that kind of stuff, it might be more effective to fund my insurance policy and retire off that. Mm, that's smart. Okay. Instead of putting a thousand dollars a month in my savings and my retirement savings, mm-hmm. I'll take that thousand dollars a month to put into my insurance premiums so that by 20 years later, this is self-funding. And then I don't have to worry about retirement because I actually could borrow against my life insurance every year, which grows up fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. And I'm I'm done funding it. Mm. So it's I'll make more by doing less. Yeah. Okay. So now once I have that set. Then I could look into other exempt markets. So there's a lot of exempt markets out there. Like you could pull your money into another company where their goal is to double your money from five to seven years. Okay. Well, if that's the case, that means if I put $5,000 in there today, by the time I'm 65, I would have $320,000. So if my goal was to have $1.2 million by the time I'm 65, I should technically only need to put about 20, 30 grand in there one time. And by the time I'm 65, I should have about 1.2, 1.3 million. Mm. So, so if, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so if that's the case and I have that implemented, then I have two things that I can kind of bank on, not bank on, but kind of fall on if the first thing doesn't work out. Yeah. Okay? Then I could add in network marketing. Then I could add in gold and silver or Bitcoins and cryptocurrency. Then I could add on real estate, right? But the first few things I don't spend too much time on. I just need to set it up and let that go run its course. The real estate stuff, the coaching stuff, the business stuff, well, that's more active. Yeah, right. right? But if I could charge people like thousands of dollars for a coaching session or something like that, well, that sure beats getting paid $100 per per hour. Yeah. Right? So am I, I'm making more by working less. Right. Right. So, so on a long-term strategy, you have to see how much effort you want to put into it and what your long-term goals are. Right. So with the multiple streams, do you just keep adding on multiple streams, adding on multiple streams, or do you have a cap? Like you say, you know, I can work with these 10 or you don't put a limit on that. Or how do you... I, I, would, I wouldn't put a limit on it. Again, yeah. it's, it's the same mindset is, okay, I'm comfortable with this one. This one's set. Okay, yeah. can I add in something else? When I started doing all this stuff, cryptocurrency wasn't a thing yet. Right. Okay. I see. Right? So when cryptocurrency is a thing, then you go, okay, wait a minute. Maybe we should start putting some money into that and see how that goes. Right. right. Amazon sales wasn't part of that thing yet. But could I get that set up and have that run its course? Right. So then you can always add, but there's so much stuff out there that you need to go, does this fit what you want to do on a long-term basis? That's a very good question. Now, did you get to the point where you admitted some things like you started something and you say, this is not something that I want to do because it doesn't fit me? Or did you pretty much just keep going with everything that you put your hands on? There, there's a few things that eventually didn't work out for me. Uh, for instance, I think there was this one where you buy domain names. 
And, and, then, <laughs> yeah, and then after a while, I'm like, yeah, this isn't working out. Uh, there's a few network marketing companies that I tried out and that didn't fit until I found the one that did fit for my needs and my lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, if everything works, then everybody would be doing it. And right. the thing is, everybody has different lifestyles, has different likes, dislikes, personalities. Um, you could buy you could buy gold and silver with network marketing if you want. Mm. Right. There's a lot of different streams out there. It depends which one you want to fit into. Network marketing. So I've tried my fair of network marketing and I've pretty much start. I, and I, this probably would be my personality. I've come to the point where network marketing seems like it's beating a dead horse after a while. Do you have any recommendations of ones that work well from your experience? And it might not be something that I might want or some, but someone may listen, may, someone listening may find it, you know, of value or how do you go about choosing a network marketing that is beneficial for you? Uh, number one is, is are the products that they offer something that you would use regardless? Okay. Okay. If it's something that you can benefit from yourself and you're not going to be a customer yourself, then there's no point in, in being in it. Because how do you sell something to somebody else and a system to somebody else if you personally don't use the products? Right, exactly. That wouldn't make sense, mm -hmm. right? And therefore, even if you don't push the network marketing aspect of it, you're still using the products no matter what. So for myself, we have a company that we follow and I've been using the products for the last eight, nine years. Okay. Right? And because that is the products I want. It's good for me. It's, uh, it's, it keeps my energy up. And I need that energy. So even though if I don't push that other side, I'm still going to be a client. Right. Right. And I personally, I'm not a, a, what do you call it? I'm not focused hard on the network marketing side. That would be my, my wife's side. Okay. So when people ask me, how do you do this? How do you do that? And uh, what are your thoughts about this? I will. Okay. Well, this is what I'm part of. Yeah. If you want to know more, let me connect you with somebody else who's more of an expert in that area. Okay. Right. But I know of it. I do. I am involved, but I don't push it. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to go out and do presentations on it. I'm not going to yeah. go do it in house parties about it. Uh, but I tell them from my personal experience what benefited me. Yeah. Right. And that's the biggest thing with network marketing. If it doesn't benefit you and all you're looking at is the business side of it, then yeah. it's not going to work. Right. Because all the network marketing companies will come up to you. Oh, our compensation plan is the best and all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, if you're focused on that, then it's never going to work. Yeah. Very good point. Um, when you speak about how you pretty much went from your job and you, you went to real estate, did you use the income a lot of like, let me restart. <laughs> so for people or maybe your clients, and I don't know, you know, the type of clients you work with, do you see that you're working with people who already kind of have a good amount of money to work with? Or have you worked with clients that are living paycheck to paycheck and you kind of put them in a direction where they can start investing in real estate? Um, and this is just everyday people out here who want to start getting into network marketing who wants to have the mindset, which that poor dad um, shares in his book, but how do they get their little bit of money and start investing in um, real estate for you? It's, it seems like you would have some type of backing because you had a, a lucrative career, but how do you share this with people who may not have a lucrative start? It, it all depends on, on that mindset. Um, if you go, I have no money that I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. then you're not going to go find ways to do it. Right. Um, and therefore, I work with a lot of different types of people with different uh, financial backgrounds and different, uh, what do you call it, different industry background and all that kind of stuff. So if somebody doesn't have the, uh, the income or the amount of finances to be able to buy a property right now, then, okay, what can you offer? Right. In my mind, in any uh, real estate deal, there's always three, three parties. There's the, there's the money person, there's the credit person, and then also the person who does the work, like the finding the property and screening the tenants and putting tenants in and maintaining the property, right? So let's say if I go, well, a deal cannot exist without all three of these in place. So let's say each one has a value of 33%. If I could find two partners who can fulfill the other parts that I don't have, then I'll do, hey, everybody gets a third of this project. 
right? And you just try and network and build relationships and do joint ventures. Uh, like I said before, our first two, three properties are with our family and friends. Right. And I go, I can't, I don't have the $55,000 that I need to buy this property as a down payment, but I do have the qualifying power to actually qualify for a property with bank. So why don't we work together? You basically come up with the down payment. I will do the, the qualifying. And then I also, I would take care of the tenants and also maintain the property. Mm-hmm. And because of this, let's do 50-50. I love that you brought up that you started with your family because I feel like different um, different people experience different things when it comes to trying to get their family on board. And I, and I want to highlight what you mentioned earlier is that you didn't treat it like it was family and you used it as practice if you were working with anyone else. Now, can you give some insight into how the relationship is with you and your family? Are they generally just supportive or did you have to do any kind of convincing or, or business mindset type of things in order to get them on board? Or how? I think there's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Um, deep down, I think they go, yeah, we're just going to try and support them kind okay. of thing. Uh, so in, in another case, it wasn't, it was purely, okay, this is a business deal. This is a, uh, a chance for us to work together and build some equity and build some cash flow and all that kind of stuff. So purely, here's the numbers. This is what yeah. we're doing. So I've, I've dealt with both. Uh, one thing I would suggest is treat it, treat it, like I said, like a business. Come down with a summary of all the numbers and like a one pager, one pager and do a presentation. You could go up to your parents or your uncle or your friends and go like this. Hey, I got this thing in deal, this deal in place. I want to work with an investor. I just want to practice my talk. Can I practice it with you? You give me all the negative feedback that you can. Give me everything that you can think of that's not going to work. And let me see if I'm able to convince you otherwise. Now that means I can be prepared when I actually talk to somebody else. Yeah. But use them as a practice, right? So if you go to family and friends and ask them for, I want your sincere advice as to what you think I need to do differently to do better for somebody else, all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, maybe <laughs> I want to be part of this. Yeah. Right? But you don't go, hey, I got this thing for you. Would you like to sign on? Right? Yeah. So. And that's a part of the strategy. I guess that's why you are a business strategist because <laughs> I'm hearing all these strategies like right before my ears. I guess I say I would say ears. <laughs> but it's a lot of strategy that you're putting in place and really just especially because I bring up the network marketing with that, that last bit, because it felt like network marketing was like, you know, get the first hundred, get the first hundred people that you know, and it's always go to your family. And my mindset was always, I want to be able to build something without having to get anything from my family, because most of the time it's skepticism, you know, or it's, you know, it's the negative feedback or they don't believe it, or they feel like you should be working a nine to five to fit on their mindset. And some people are, are experiencing all different types of um, experiences when it deals with their family. But it's just like the the ability to be able to start something, to complete something and say, hey, family, now I've done it, you know, to prove to them. But if we reverse it and we do it how you suggest and you make it like this is really business, you know, they can either say yes or no. That way you can present it to them. Still have that mindset that I can get this done, but then you hit that practice. So you're hitting three different uh, tiers and and one, you know, I can practice, I can present it to you and I can also get an opportunity out of it if you are interested in it. So I don't. Like one thing, one, one thing I would suggest is also kind of find out how can you add value to them? So for instance, I'm in Canada, so we're with RSPs and TFSAs and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And I go, okay, what are you what are you getting out of your RSPs? Are you averaging two percent a year? Are you averaging three percent a year? Mm-hmm. Okay, what if I take the the, the sixty thousand dollars that you have in your RSPs and I put that into this down payment on this house? I'm going to give you a return of twelve percent a year. Mm. Does that make more sense? Right. Mm-hmm. If let's say if it all does not work. Okay, yeah. because you put it down, you're part of that project. You can sell the house, right? We have you on on contract. You are tied to the property. You can sell the house and you make your money back, anyways. Yeah. Right. As long as you go through all those uh, little what do you call it, um, all the pros and cons, and find out okay, is what I'm presenting you better than what you already have? Yeah. If yeah. it is, I'll let you make the decision of what you want to do with your money. 
Because in the end, you want to be more effective for your money anyways. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you another thing that I'm, I'm walking away with is the, just getting down to the math of the, the entire thing. It's like, once you equate that, you know, I, you, you gave us a, a, a big number, but just bringing it down to 40 hours a week, um, 40 hours a week equals this much, this is how much I get, you know? A lot of people, we're just conditioned to think that this is what you have to do, you know? But if you say there's an opportunity, like, what do I need in order to have a lifestyle or to feel comfortable or to not wait until I'm retired in order to go on vacation? You know, what? how much money would I need? Just look at how much is your rent or your mortgage each month? How much are your utilities? Like, the basic math will get you at least the, the initial answer of like, this is what I need for my necessities. Then it's like, what do I want to do? I want to be able to travel maybe once a month or once a quarter. How much would that cost? If I, if you look at the data on, or even research on how much it would cost, put those numbers together. Once you put those numbers together, you can say, this is how much I need to make. And then we go into what you spoke about earlier is the courses. So I can make my courses this much and this will get me to this. Like, I feel like when I'm looking out in the world, it's just, it's a lot of complication and it gets complex, but it's really simple. It's a lot of just math and then it's math and mindset. But, yeah. um, so you are a three times best-selling author. I really want to sit here uh, with that because I know that you coach people in order to um, write books um, and you coach them to get to the same um, status of, of a best-selling <laughs> author as well. What would you, and I have some people who have come on the show who are authors, um, and I have some of uh, the people, listeners that come in are, are, are authors, and they are, uh, what do you call it, personal development type authors. Mm-hmm. What is the process of becoming uh, a bestseller? Like, because I feel like people can have good content, but they really don't know how to position themselves. And I know you can't give away all your goodies, but <laughs> what would you, um, what would be the first four things that you suggest in order for that to happen for someone who's already written their book, um, already has it out on maybe one or two platforms. What is the sauce for getting it to be a bestseller? Uh, well, the thing is, I'll, I'll share whatever you want me to share. Okay, good. I was, I, I, that's how I feel. I feel like it should be that way, but you never know. Like some people, uh, The thing is, if you search it online, you'll find it anyways. Um, there, there isn't any information out there that's not already out there. Yeah, for right? sure. So I can tell you everything that I do and what I, I show my, my clients to do. Um, have you ever questioned why a movie is the number one movie in the North America before the movie even came out? I never even knew that happened, honestly. <laughs> I never knew that that, that happened. That's crazy. Right. So like in Canada, I see these, these, uh, these movie trailers come up. It's like number one movie in Canada coming out this Friday. I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, right? So like there, there's ways of doing that. There's focus groups, there's screen testing. And within that screen test, it's got voted number one. Well, if yeah. that's the case, then they use that for advertising. Right. Um, same thing with book sales and all that kind of stuff. So you could do pre-book launches um, and then try and get bestseller in your category. And once you get bestseller on there, it doesn't matter how short or period time you're a bestseller, you're a bestseller within that time period. And then you could call yourself a bestseller. Right. If you do that in different countries oh, yeah. and different places, then you could call yourself an international bestseller. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's some platforms where I'm not exactly sure which ones, but they're like, um, they're international bestseller in, uh, I don't, I believe either New York times or whatever it is. I'm not 100% sure. So don't completely quote me on this, yeah. but it has to do with how many book sales you do. So from what I understand, some book, uh, some gurus go out there and use their company and buy 5,000 units, wow. get the New York times or whatever bestseller status. Mm-hmm. And then they are able to take those books and sell them at their events. So what is your what is your outlook on that? Do you feel like that is misleading? Or do you feel uh, like that's strategy? It, it depends. I think I, I'm more leaning towards strategy. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the one where I coach my clients with the Amazon bestseller and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. that is purely you still have to go out there and promote it. Right. You still have to be able to convince enough people to buy it to get bestseller. So you're still putting in the work. Right. So it, it it's either it, it, I, I personally find that it's more of a, a strategy thing. Yeah, I would, I would, I would add to that. I feel like 
We have to understand the audience. And I know that people like to see numbers. They went on YouTube. If you are looking for a topic on YouTube, you're going to look at how many subscribers they had or how many views somebody already watched it because people, we are community type people. Like we want to know that other people are doing it or we want to know that other people like it. And sometimes just seeing a number like, oh, is this number one? Like people like this book, then I'll give it an opportunity whether versus, oh, no one like it, it must be trash, you know? So it's like, you have to play along with the game in order to put yourself in the position to say, this is a good book because now you have the opportunity because of the mind. I guess it would be, I would say mind trickery a little bit because I feel like we should kind of be open to it, but we also have to understand the audience and what they've been conditioned to learn and know in order to put us in a position to, to market to them. But the thing is, as you mentioned, like for instance, videos and subscribers, well, there's ways of doing that too. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden you see this one person have like four or five subscribers and the next week, all of a sudden they have like, like a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. Yeah. You can buy subscribers. Yeah. Right. You can get people to, you can pay people to put comments. Right. So there's people who do that. Um, you could probably tell which ones those are by looking at who the commenters and are and all kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Um, depends on how much you trust the numbers and how much do you want to uh, focus on it. Yeah. Right. Some people want to really build it authentically. Yeah, that might take a little bit more work. Uh, and some people would just want to, you know, jump a few steps and do it by automation and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, uh, it's up to you. That's a really, really good topic to sit on because it does. Okay, so you have organic and some people want to build it from the ground up. And I feel like that's kind of like that hard working mentality. You know, if I build it from the ground up, I appreciate it more. And then some people can appreciate, you know, automation or just, I guess, the fame part of like, buying those subscribers or or buying those views or getting those comments because they understand the market a little bit in order for them to work less. You know what I mean? If because it's not that they are they're they're in content is trash or whatever. It's just that they have to work through a system that may put them down into you know, Darkland on YouTube. And so they use that strategy and then once they get then they start getting these real people on there mm-hmm. and then they actually automate and then they can blow up. I don't sure how successful people are with using those strategies. If it's actually something that works or if it's, if it's tried and true that if you, if you're organic about it and you work from the ground up, you know, you can be more successful this way than if you try to, you know, get, get in front of the audience or, you know, but it's, I think it's a really interesting conversation because I feel like both people can still have valuable content and even though people usually look at people who say, oh, you, you brought those subscribers or you brought those likes or views, they, they might look at them in a negative way because they feel like, oh, oh you're fake, you're fake. <laughs> but there are people who are out here who, are, who may not be as talented as some of these people and they got in front of a larger group because they use systems. They mm-hmm. use systems and they use numbers in order to push them to a people who wouldn't have never saw them if they start being, if they only work from the ground up and it took them forever to do it. It's like, mm-hmm. I, you can work from the ground up and get to, and this is just an opinion. I would love to do some, some testing on that though, but you can work from the ground up, for instance, and it might take you 10 years to get to where you need. Or you can use automation and systems. Um, and strategy <laughs> in order to to make to take that 10 years down to three years. You know what I mean? And we're talking about saving time. You know what I mean? If if you're using one of these platforms like Instagram and, and you buy followers on Instagram or or Twitter and buy followers or whatever, and it's and it's helpful for you and you get to your your end goal faster, is it necessarily like this bad thing or is it are you lying to people? It's just like you kind of use these these space holders in order to get you to more people faster because you want to save more time on life. You're like if you get to a point where you can automate faster, then you live. You give your time. You give yourself more time to live life. You know what I mean? Um, but I think loving what you do, if you do it organically, it won't matter because it's like you love what you do every day, so you always invest in yourself. Yeah. Like the thing is also, uh, I think the main point is to get is to get noticed. Yeah. If people don't know you exist and no, people don't know what you do or who you are, then you don't even have a chance to spread the message that you have to spread. Mm-hmm. Or you won't even have the opportunity to help people that you actually can help. Right. right? So 
the thing is you have to start looking at the business side of things as, okay, what's, what are the rules of the game? And how do I play within the rules of the game so that I could get noticed? Once you get noticed and people come into your, your sphere of influence, now you need to prove to them that you're worth them yeah. within that circle. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, you could be, you could be able to buy all that stuff, get all the um, subscribers, get all the likes and all that kind of stuff. And then you don't have any value or any quality to offer people. Eventually yeah. it's not going to last. Exactly. Right. So you may have all these numbers, but you're not making anything because right. the real people aren't coming in yeah. or they come in and then they leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, from a sports perspective, is it fair that, okay, you could be the skill, highest skilled person in a certain sport. Let's say I'm in Canada, so I'm, I'll, I'll use hockey, but you can't afford the uh, $500 hockey sticks that gives you the extra oomph for your shot and stuff like that. Yeah, is yeah. that fair? Hmm. Right? Well, that's a good question. But the person who's not as skilled as you can afford that, but then now their shot has the same level as your shot. Wow. So then now what? Is this person fake? Hmm. They, and you know what? That is so, that's such a good question because it really comes down to who's smarter. Because even if they, if they, if they were to invest their money, let's say they, they had the money and they could be because they're rich or maybe they worked out for the money to get that, that hockey stick that's more advanced, but they use strategy, right? Like we, like we've been talking about is the strategy is like, if I'm trying to, to be better and I can use tools. I feel like we we all as people use tools, you know, and, and the tools just got more advanced over time. And some people want to use older tools because they're, you know, they're old school. They want to keep it some that way. And some people advance with the time. And so they're using these new tools to help them live a better life, you know, have a better experience. And it's all about perception because some people... For instance, use tools like to alter, you know, the way they look or and to some people it's like, oh, they're they're fake. But then it's like, but that's a thing that people that's a metric that people use in order to say they trust someone. They the cement the symmetry in your face, if if someone looks beautiful, they they like that. Like it's it's is psychology um, research behind these type of things. And so you just understand in a game, and I always say that this life experience on earth feels like a game. And so once you start to understand that there's all different types of ways that you can play a game, um, then you get more comfortable with using these different tools and strategy. But then there's just who you are as a person. Like, what do I align with? If I feel like I don't want to deceive people, then you can do things organically. Or if you can say, maybe, like you said, if I have value and I use this to help boost me up, what is the problem. Like if someone say, we know someone who can help people get a million dollars each day, but no one knows about them. Are we supposed to keep them behind there just because they didn't, you know, work from the ground up? I think it's a really good discussion. I think I can, we can, play we can bring it down to even, even simpler terms. Okay. Um, when was that? Like, uh, when I went to Europe one time mm-hmm. and you walk around and all of a sudden this gelato place says number one gelato in the country. Mm-hmm. And you walk across the street, this one says number one gelato in the city. And it, like, according to who? Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could be driving down yeah. Edmonton and all of a sudden this one place is like number one Chinese food in all of, it, yeah. all of Edmonton. I'm like, says who? Mm-hmm. Right? So it may, have set the, it may have been given the number one status of that magazine. Yeah. Right? But it's not a magazine I've read. Right. Right. I, I have uh, I have friends who were voted number one best dressed. Like, really? <laughs> says who? who? Yeah. Right? So yes. says that magazine. Yeah. And then when you find out, oh, that magazine was one of your friends' magazine. I was like, okay. Yeah. It's legit. Right. So when you start asking questions and looking at, okay, who says what, who's giving this credit? Mm-hmm. There's always something behind it. Yeah. Do you want to play the game? And it's built on credibility too. Like you build a credibility to say if they were voted number one um, New York best time seller, right? That's different than just number one or number one on Amazon. It's like, oh, a lot of people shop on Amazon. Amazon has built credibility. So credibility plays its part in understanding these in these numbers and these perceptions, because it's all really thoughts and belief systems, right? I feel like we all function on thoughts and belief system and then we subscribe or we follow 
like we are right now, a certain thought or belief system. Like, for instance, numbers. People always say numbers don't lie. And I used to always think like, well, I remember numbers lying, like in stats, like you can manipulate numbers to say anything you want. So like there's like different news reports. There's all these different um, things out there to say, you know, 76 of Americans are doing this or 32 percent are divorced or they say all these different numbers. But like you said, according to who, like it could have been 10 people, 100 people only in New York or only in D.C. And it doesn't really matter <laughs> but it what sample make- size yeah what demographic <laughs> yeah. how many people so, did you ask like numbers can lie or number no matter what you want to find you'll find it yeah and you can find a statistic to actually support it if you want it to can for all, almost anything anything yeah. you can find a supporting argument and you can find an opposing argument like I've, I've been on this thing trying to trying to get them all together but I, I know you don't, you're short on time so I hope that um, we can get to the game the yourself to yeah, sure. and then you can share um, with everyone how people can connect with you so I, I created I created this word called self-tivity and self-tivity is just any type of activity that can invest in your mind, body, your spirit. And I'm very <laughs> open on how I, I do this. So I create these self-tivity games. And so this self-tivity game is based off of your YouTube show. I love I love the name, Make More Mind Bites, right? So it's not off of your YouTube game. I was just inspired by the title alone. And so I'm, I'm sitting with mind bites. So how we play this game is I'm going to give you four different sayings that someone may say in uh, what we would call the negative mindset. And you're going to give them a mind bite. So it's only going to be five words or less to feed them something better. So the mind bite is that this is what's going on in my mind. This is a negative thought. Now they need some nutrients and you are going to provide the nutrients in five words or less based on these four different sayings. Okay. So I'm going to say- So you want me to give the positive spin to it? Exactly. Or what what would you feed that mindset if you, if this is what they were going through? So like, for instance, if I was, um, if I started bleeding, you know, I would, you know, get this for- I would get a Band-Aid or whatever. I don't even know what I would put with bleeding. But if... <laughs> That's a tough thing. You know, if I was coughing, <laughs> I would give them a cough drop, right? So I'm going to say the negative word. What words are you going to give back in return to heal that particular saying? Okay, so you can get creative with it. All right, so here's the first one. Do you, are you following a little bit? Let's, let's go. We're going to go with it. Okay, <laughs> so the first saying is entrepreneurship is too much. I can't do it. Everything that you put your mind to it, you can. If you say you can't, then you can't. All right, awesome. The next one is, I don't have the talent. You got to use a different one than you said before. (laughs) (laughs) Surround yourself with other people with the talent. Ooh, I like that one. Okay. Why does it seem like I try so hard, but I only see everyone else winning and not me? A, a steam engine takes a while before it gets moving. Mm. Okay. And the last one, if I try this, I'm going to look stupid if I fail. The iPad used to be stupid too. Nice. <laughs> All right. That's that too you game. <laughs> Thank you so much. That went, that went a lot better than I thought. I was thinking about it. I was trying to make it make sense and you made it make sense. So thank you for participating. Now, I, I spoke to you um, before we started the show and I shared with you the self-tivity statements that I, I love for everyone to come on the show and share. Self-tivity statement for people who are listening for the first time is very similar to an affirmation, but it's an intentional affirmation. So you can't just say, I am life or I am beautiful. You need to support your affirmation with an intentional action statement. So what are you going to do to support your affirmation? So Mr. Fung, what is your self-tivity statement? Your affirmation and your supporting action statement. So my action statement would be potential is unlimited. Mm -hmm. Today is the day to unlock your potential. Oh, that is your tag, isn't it? I I meant to bring that up. That is your tag. I saw that all over everything that you had going out. So I now want to give you the opportunity to share um, all the different ways that people can connect with you, how they can connect with you, um, and anything else you want to end with us today. Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
Uh, you can find my YouTube channel. It's Your Area TV. Uh, that's where all my podcast stuff, all my videos are. Um, I'm also on Spotify. If you want to find the Peak Potential Success Show, it's where I interview a lot of different people of success, uh, celebrities, athletes, business CEOs, multimillionaires, uh, to find out what they did to become successful and just to learn from them and whatnot. So you can find me on all those platforms. Um, I also have a website, fongchua.com. It's also up here. And then, yeah, um, I, I guess my, my last saying is really surround yourself with those people who will support and you can learn from. Um, I've, I'll share a quick little story here. Um, I had a, a client come up to me and told me that cryptocurrency doesn't work. Mm. And I asked him, well, who did you talk to? He goes, oh, I talked to my brother's friend. I'm like, is he successful in cryptocurrency? He goes, no. I'm like, then why did you ask him? Yeah. Right. I could introduce you to two, three other people who are doing really good in cryptocurrency. Mm. I'm sure if you ask them, they'll tell you how it works and how it's, how it's going to be uh, beneficial. Yeah. So surround yourself with those people who are doing what you want to do and support each other and grow together. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. To everyone listening, I hope that you guys were able to gain value from today's show. I definitely did. I really enjoyed speaking with you, learning a lot of different strategies. <laughs> I'm walking away with a lot of different strategies. So thank you so much, Fung. To everyone, hold on to you as much as you can. Hold on to your health, your being, and your mind. Be mindful.